podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? I've been chasing Moses around the house all day, so... You know, in journey to Instagram, like, don't have kids. <laughs> Wait for it. Your face is red, like strawberry. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Hello. So FPL returns this week. Yay. So with that in mind, we're back with our concluding preseason podcast as we enter the final stretch of this torrid period. It's been seven long weeks since the game reopened and the bit has not been so much champed at, but chewed away into dust as Tinkertown's doors open for business with gusto. With me is the Inter my Yang and Nick. You all right, mate? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Got the laces out for this one, the final pod before the season begins. I'm ready for all the action to begin and the inevitable game week one blank. Everything's just going to be kicking off in just five days' time, and we're already going to be cursing a Liverpool loss clean sheet, a Salah Blanc, and a Matip goal. Oh, wait, that happened today, didn't it? Just to say who we are, we are Who Got the Assist. You can find us online, whogotthesist.com, on Twitter, at WGTNSQFPL. Listen and subscribe on Spotify or SoundCloud, whatever pod service you use. Hello to regular listeners and hello to new listeners too, for the newbies. If you're interested in, uh, in learning more about us, we did a podcast telling um, the listeners all about us and how we came to form the pod just a few weeks ago. Uh, we've also done an unwritten rules pod over the summer with Neil Murray and also about two and a half hours of team previews to get through as well. So uh, plenty of listening for new listeners. Yeah, certainly. And there's also written content like Talisman, Value, Prospecting the Prospects, finally had a look at Nickers Pepe the other day, plus a pile of psychology like my over-management bit, which is worth finding if you can. Anyway, it's our final pre-season pod, Nick, and we've probably analysed everything, like literally everything. I'm not sure there's anything we didn't analyse. But this week we're going to actually start a little bit differently and take a walk down memory lane, uh, reviewing what happened on opening day game weeks over the past five seasons or so to gauge what kinds of players tend to break the deadlock and what we can remember from those past glories or failures. Also, we've got a couple of transfer updates to talk through in Pepe, Gabamin and Moazi Ken, plus some Charity Shield hot takes. And additionally, as it's Sunday of the time of recording and lots going to change with these, but we'll be giving you a reveal of our teams as they stand and the reasoning behind our respective setups. Right, let's get going, Nick. And let's start with uh, game week one in the past. So we've been sat here before. This is the first season we've sat here talking about it to an audience. But we've both been sat here before, haven't we? You know, WhatsApping and sending each other teams as we get into the kind of early August uh, in the anticipation for game week one. This week, it was, it was really interesting, wasn't it, to look at those past five game week ones and uh, really remember where we were. Like the nostalgia factor was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I was looking at some of my sort of old school teams. I've got the teams from sort of 17, 18 and, and 16, 17 as well. And, and looking at what I did uh, those years, how it worked out for me and uh, if I can learn anything, if it's possible to learn anything as well in advance of um, this game week one. We're also looking at sort of the teams dating back to 2014 who did well in those game week ones. I'm sure we've all got horrible memories, really. I think game week one seems to be one of those weeks where it just kind of goes to crap, doesn't it, at the end of the day? After you spend all <laughs> seven weeks just experimenting with formations and then it's just you see like Eric Dyer goals and Nathan Redmond goals and you think, why did I even bother? 
Yeah, it's always that one, isn't it, about kind of 20 drafts back, which tends to smash it. Uh, but anyway, we've looked at this uh, through an analytical lens. Obviously, it's, it's a little bit of an indicative one rather than a substantial one because there's only five game weeks to look at. But we've looked through it and we've coded up the own goals, defenders, midfielders and strikers in terms of goal scorers and had a look at the percentages throughout the year. And of course, it's the sort of player who's scoring these sorts of goals too. And hopefully at the end, you might hear something that may help you with your final game week one selections. So we've, we've got our team data, don't we? since 2016 Nick but to delve back even deeper into the past and I think we're going to be trying to remember who we had 2014 uh, just to start there this was the year where uh, we all benched Siggy um, I seem to remember against Manchester United uh, away and Swansea actually won that game goals from Siggy and Ki Sung Young uh, did it for Swansea and that year uh, 42% of uh, goals were scored by midfielders and 38% by strikers uh, 26 goals were scored this is like fairly vintage FPL. This is when uh, Chris Wood was at Leicester. This is when Sado Berahino uh, scored a brace, Nick. And it's also Sebastian Larson and Aidan McGeady scoring for Sunderland and, and Everton. So we're really back in the hinterlands, aren't we there? Mm. Yeah, but there are, there are a few players. I think this was the season Liverpool did uh, fantastically well. And uh, Sturridge scored, for instance, Aguero and uh, Diego Costa and also um, David Silva and, and Sterling also scored. So a few of the sort of the more premium picks also did well. So it was a bit of a mixed bag, but a lot of us, if we had Manchester United and back back then, we, we considered Manchester United to be a good team. We were quite heavily punished by that 2-1 loss, weren't we? There were a lot of us who had Siggy first bench, which is unheard of now, but I think back then that was the sort of thing that people would have done. Uh, people would have done that. But it just goes to show you really if the likes of kind of Ivanovic were one of the goal scorers that day. Uh, moving forward to 2015, uh, this was the year that Leicester really arrived. Riyad Mahrez scored a brace and that uh, Jamie Vardy scored as well in the 40 win against Sunderland. And I think Mahrez was 5.5 million then. He scored a brace that day, uh, as did Yaya Torre. Elsewhere, uh, West Ham defeated Arsenal 2-0 uh, away. I remember that um, Reece Oxford had an amazing game as Coyoate and Zarate <laughs> scored the two goals <laughs> there. Yet another uh, game week one where uh, midfielders, uh, noticing a theme here, uh, scored the most goals. They scored 14 goals compared to 11 for forward, three for defenders and two own goals. Out of 30 goals, that's 47% of the goals scored by midfielders. Yeah, I think 15, uh, 16, that was a particularly bad year for me. Um, I think that was the year that I sort of began really my love-hate relationship with Eden Hazard. I remember holding on to him for, for far too long. I had him in game week one and he subsequently did nothing for quite a while. You were saying, just get rid of the guy, just get rid of the guy. I was like, no, he's got a good fixture, one more fixture, trying to hold him. And uh, yeah, things went badly for me. And I, I didn't get on um, the likes of Vard or Mares um, early enough either that season into what was sort of Leicester's canter towards Premier League glory. I think I got on Mares a little bit earlier. I think I got him in with the two free transfers in game week three. This was before WGTA, wasn't it? So it's back when we were actually good. No, I did badly. Uh, <laughs> you were good. <laughs> so this is the year we were both on well, actually, wasn't it? Um, but, you know, the likes of Rudy Gestead, the likes of Stephen Fletcher scoring on that first game week it really goes to show you, again, that we're quite far back. Miguel Layoun, do you remember him? But yeah, elsewhere, the likes of Wolf Zaha, Ross Barkley, actually. Um, Ross Barkley scored that first game week. And Shane Long as well on the score sheet that day. But yeah, another midfielder kind of dominated to year and 2016 Nick where we actually have our records of who we actually started that game week this is a, a year where that swing towards midfielder scoring amplifies doesn't it uh, 16 goals for midfielders that year yeah 16-17 yeah as you said um, a lot of midfielders scored that year it was the likes of uh, Snodgrass, Shakiri, Redmond, Lamella, Barkley um, 
matter. And uh, Coutinho got a brace as well as uh, Mane, Lalana, and Walcott and Hazard all scored as well. So loads of guys scored. Leroy Fur scored as well. I think it's particularly cheap and a lot of people were patting themselves on the back for backing Fur right at the beginning of the season. And then more people brought him in and then he subsequently did nothing for the rest of the season, didn't he? Yeah, I definitely uh, remember that one. Uh, it, it was, uh, yeah, Leroy Fur. God, imagine that he was on our FPL radars. <laughs> uh, this is also the year, if you remember, there was a balmy 4-3 win for Liverpool at Arsenal uh, that day. So as Nick mentioned, Coutinho scored a brace and the likes of Walcott and Oxlade-Chamberlain scored for Arsenal. So yeah, what, way back when. And this is the year as Latan arrived on the scene as well, scoring the third goal in United's 3-1 win against Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. Let's have a look at our Game Week 1 squads that year, Nick. And it's interesting, isn't it, look, looking at the relic that is this. The distribution is towards the front line. Kun Aguero is captain. Jamie Vardy sitting next to him. Andre Gray, um, when he was at Burnley. I had Ericsson, Hazard and Firmino uh, in the midfield as well. So quite an interesting start. I only got 55 in the end, but yeah, it was only 44 average. So it wasn't a very big scoring uh, Game Week 1 that year. And I got 51, which was above the average, but not a particularly good score, all things considered. It was my uh, strikers that actually sort of bails me out of jail. I had this sort of the Aguero captain who got me nine times two and uh, Ibrahimovic as well. I backed him and you didn't, if I remember rightly, and he got me nine points. I think I had Mares got me some points, but I also had the likes of Andre Gray uh, before he, he sent a very unfortunate tweet, which meant I had to transfer him out. <laughs> and also had... Um, the likes of Iwobi for some reason doing nothing for me and uh, and Morgan Stone's Luke Shaw back line that all blanked. Yeah, no, I had something very similar. I had uh, Morgan Stones and Shaw as the bat three. And on the bench, I had Fernandez and uh, the legend, the 4.0 legend, Jordi Amat, who both uh, got a clean sheet on game week one. Heaton was in goal as well. So, yeah, that guy's been around for quite a while. This was uh, 2016, three years ago now. So these players really just, just do keep coming back for more, don't they, really? Uh, yeah, I guess when nature calls and at the start of the season, they're there. And uh, 2017, uh, two, a couple of years ago, this, this is a bit of a strange one because it's midfielders who have tended to score the most. Most. But this year it was strikers who scored the most. 52% of the 31 goals were scored by strikers that day. Uh, so Lukaku, who was my captain then, it was his opening game for Manchester United against uh, West Ham. I remember you captained Harry Kane away at Newcastle. That yeah. was the very start of WGTA, wasn't it? It was probably the only time the FPL community have ever asked the following question. Why didn't we think about Steve Mounier? <laughs> yeah, this is the year that Burnley beat Chelsea 3-2 away. Higazi Mania began. He scored the only goal as West Brom won, predictably 1-0. Oh, God, do you remember that? Yeah, I do. And I just remember all the teams with Higazi and 4.5 million West Brom defender getting 15 points. And he wasn't on a radar at all, really, during this sort of the pre-season. We'd, we'd analysed him and saw that he'd never scored for his um, club that he played for in Egypt. So we're like, yeah, they were not getting this guy. And then, of course, he scores on the opening week. And we're just like, oh, for God's sake. And yeah, the mania began, as you said. It was like, he's a unit. He's going to do this all the time. But yeah, Mounier scored a brace. And everyone rushed to get him in as well. Vokes got a brace as well. <laughs> Volkswagen began. And then uh, Vardy also got a brace. So, yeah, and Lukaku, as he said, so lots of strikers um, scoring big that particular game week. Uh, that season, I went for 4 3 3, which is slightly different than the previous season where I'd gone for 3 4 3. So, I, I went for the four at the back for the first time. But, yeah, Davis got me 14 points for Spurs against Newcastle, he scored as well. So, that was uh, the start of the, uh, the Davies bandwagon, the Shrine, because um, he'd done really well for me the previous season at the end as well. Um, the likes of Dale Stevens also got me six, but um, the main man that appeared on the scene for me and really benefited from me overall that season was Mo Salah, who picked up 11 points in game week one and I was starter for a beautiful, blossoming relationship with FPL managers, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, it was amazing, really, to think that he was 9.0. And, like, Nicolas Pepe's coming at 9.5. Uh, incredible uh, comparison there, if you really think about it. I mean, that game week one, I did the right, actually. I got 72. But again, you can see the strength in the forward line. So two premiums, as it were, and Lukaku and Kane are supplemented by Backstabby Adini, Gabby Adini. What the hell I was doing with him in my team, I'll never know. This was the year when I tipped Ryan Fraser to do very, very well from game week one, if you remember, Nick. And he, uh, he scored two points, weren't too happy with the returns there. Turns out I was a year ahead of my time, I suppose. That Salah chap got 11. And do you remember this was the year as well where Kevin De Bruyne, we all had him in as our city cover and he was playing in kind of a quarterback sort of role in the first kind of three games. We all shipped him out. And then in game week four, he got two assists. Yeah, I do remember that. I think it was in game week three. I was watching a game live and it's just one of the most frustrating matches I've ever watched of a Premier League match because Kevin De Bruyne just spent the entire time literally just playing right in front of the defenders, just passing it back, not getting forward. I was thinking, what the hell is this guy doing? He's meant to be my attacking Manchester City asset and he was just not getting forward at all. And it was just seemed to be a bit of an odd game, a bit of a blip perhaps. That's always the fear with KDB, isn't it? He's playing the um, the defensive role. So, yeah, I, I got not as high as you did, 58. But, yeah, the 4-3-3 three, three, um, worked out for me quite well with um, Lukaku. It gave me 13 points. But, yeah, the Kane Blank didn't help and neither did the uh, J-Rod's one-pointer that I got as well. Oh, J-Rod, another one who's come back to the Premier League. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, isn't it, how these players come around? So on to last season then, and yeah, the pendulum swung completely the other way. So in 2018-17, as mentioned, 52% of the goals were scored by strikers. In 2018, 64% of the goals were scored by midfielders. Uh, 16 goals, uh, Richarlison got a brace, Mane got an opening day brace, Pereira got an opening day brace, and only six strikers scored, the likes of Hosolu, uh, Sturridge, and uh, yeah, Wilson and Jimmy, I suppose. An opening Richarlison banger, he became the first bandwagon. He scored again the next week and then got sent off the week after as Nick has mentioned to his chagrin a couple of times. And Liverpool won 4-0 and the Salah scored very early, didn't he? Assisted by Robertson. Yeah, it was a big win for Liverpool and uh, also Manchester City did pretty well for me. So um, this season I went for the 4-4-2, so another different formation for me, but sticking with four at the back. And the defenders really paid off for me in the end, actually, because I got Mendy got me 15 points from his double assist. PVA um, got me 11 points and Robertson got me 11 points, but Babies let me down a little bit with just a two-pointer. I captain Salah was a bit more par for the course that year with an eight times two, but it was the likes of Mares, um, Gilfried Sigurdsson and, and Diego Jota that kind of let me down a little bit in terms of the start of last season. And Mares, also Manchester City's big money signing, was seemingly dropped straight away and, and barely played at all last season. So he had to go quite quickly for me as well. Last season was the first season where I'd taken a few too many punts, I think, on newly promoted players. Like I had a Jota like you over Richarlison. I also started Tom Kearney over um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, which uh, in retrospect looks ridiculous, but um, at the time probably made sense to some extent. I don't know. Uh, Captain, as you mentioned, Salah. I, I backed Aubameyang over Kuniguero, which was going to lead me into peril in game week two. The 62 points I got last year as well, which again is a mediocre start. But having gone down memory lane, so let's have a look at some of the information that we've gleaned then. Uh, so by position, here's the number of goals scored. 140 goals have been scored on game week one over the last five years. That's five own goals, 19 goals by defenders, 65 by midfielders and 51 by strikers. That means that midfielders have scored 46% of the goals on game week one in the last five years, 36% scored by strikers. So midfielders have scored the most goals 
on most game week ones then in our little sample set it's only in 2017 when 16 goals were scored by strikers that this changes and last year as mentioned 64 percent of the opening day goals were scored by midfielders nick so obviously it's a very small sample set and obviously there's less strikers in the game than midfielders which can bias the data but having looked at this uh, through a knowingly subjective lens what can we glean from this nick so when we looked at the numbers we identified that 54 of the goals were scored by attack-minded midfielders and that's sort of excluding the likes of sort of Giorgino and, and Kante and Etienne Capoue. 39% of all goals were scored by these guys, which is the highest proportion. Pretty interesting stuff, really. Looks like sort of midfielders, attacking midfielders tend to do well in um, the first game week. But then we also saw in, in 2017, you know, all those strikers doing particularly well. So it'd be, it'd be very interesting to see what happens. Yeah, certainly. I think that, um, like, to round off this section, Nick, the reason behind this is just that on game week one, it's feasible to say that teams set up not to lose. You don't want to start your season on, on the back foot effectively. So it could be said on game week one that if teams are set up not to lose and are set up kind of in a cagey fashion, that those kind of flair attack-minded midfield players are the kind of players who we should be looking at. And if anyone's considering 3-5-2, even though this data is obviously based on a very, very small sample size, there is a little bit of confirmation bias for you there. But yeah, I thought that was interesting and maybe a different thing to do ahead of game week one. Right, we'll take a break there, Nick, and we'll move on to the, uh, the new players uh, into the Premier League. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and um, we've got a question from FPL Chancellor Dan. Um, He's asked us, do you think the early transfer window has been a help or hindrance to managers? The timing of uh, Pepe and Ken, etc. coming in feels really awkward. It could prompt game week two or game week three wildcards when we don't actually want to use them that early. So so what what do you think about that then, Tom? I mean, this is a nice little segue, isn't it, into the players who have come in? Because the ones who have come in over the last week or so are probably the players who are going to be bedded into the squad, haven't done the full preseason, and as Dan said, could by game week two or three really start shining. Um, I think I'm going to wait until the international break, uh, game week four and five, to be seriously considering them, unless one of them does like a Salah and scores very, very well on the opening day. Probably the same for you, right, Nick? Yeah, definitely. I think I said on um, the team preview pods that I, I'm trying to avoid the new signings as much as possible. I've learned sort of lessons from the previous few seasons where I have punted on um, new signings like sort of uh, Mares and um, Yota from you know, last year, and even the um, we didn't go far this far back in time. But do you remember when I had that Memphis Depay punt in game week one when he was playing for Manchester United as yeah. well, and uh, you know, that that really didn't work out for me either. So I think. I think this year I'm just going to be, um, you know, focusing on those established Premier League players, comfortable and played at their teams for a long time. And, you know, you can be trusted to perform at the highest level. Um, obviously, these, these signings are like uh, Nicolas Pepe, very exciting players. Also, on the contrast, you know, I backed Salah when he first went to Liverpool and he did very well for me. So it can pay off going for a new signing in game week one. But um, Nice of Pepe hasn't had a proper pre-season, so we don't even know if he's necessarily going to be straight into the team or not. He didn't play the friendly. So, uh, yeah, I think for me, it would definitely be a case of don't take a gamble, don't take a punt on these players. And it, it might lead to early wild cards, or it might just be that you can use some of your pre-transfers to get these players in. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big fan of a game week two, game week three wild card. And, unless you've made a complete hash up of your sort of first team, you can normally roll your first transfer, then have a little bit of a mini wild card and use three transfers, perhaps on a minus four. And that tends to fix any gaping holes that you might have in your immediate setup. 
yeah, certainly I'd agree with you actually that you'd probably be aiming to use your mini wildcard around uh, game week three, as you said. I, last year, I actually did wildcard in game week three because of Conagüero's hat trick and the need to probably fit him in. I can see why uh, people are beginning to get a bit worried. But to look at some of these signings then and talk about their impacts on FPL quickly. Uh, Nicholas Pepe, 22 goals, 11 assists, and we worked out on the prospects and the prospects that'd be 272 points for him. The main message with him is how we adjust to not being the main man effectively. Like the data is great. It's reminiscent, actually, strangely, of Sanchez in his prime. Uh, so the ratio of shots in the box, for instance, of the 122 shots Sanchez took back then in 2016-17, 78 were in the box, so that's 64%, not far off Pepe, 60%. And Sanchez created 78 chances for teammates that year. Pepe created 70. Uh, obviously, it's high roller numbers, like 264 points Sanchez scored that year. And though the PTP was very generous, I suspect Pepe's going to short the score a bit lower. There'll be a bit of an adjustment period. But, you know, stuff like he's got a similar expected goals to Raz, and he also won six of the nine penalties he converted. It kind of feels like a bit of a Zaha deluxe. I'm very glad as an Arsenal fan that we've got him. But he won't be on penalties, almost definitely. So that's nine goals already taken away. And he's, he won't be the anointed talisman, because I suspect Aubameyang and his beta Lacazette are going to be going for it. So I think Pepe at 9.5 is an interesting price. I think it's a, it's a bit strange that he was priced at that Pulisic price 7.5 and Salah came in at 9 I mean what do you think about Pepe Nick? And if Pepe had been part of the Arsenal setup from the start of the summer he'd certainly be in contention especially if he'd um, played well in the pre-season um, as a player for our FPL teams in terms of covering Arsenal because he's a midfielder so he does get those extra points which gives him a little bit of an advantage over the likes of Laka and Aubameyang and uh, you know you said Arsenal's fixtures are, are pretty tough but their first two are actually reasonable they've got Newcastle away and, and Burnley at home so you could have potentially gone with an Arsenal player for those first two fixtures potentially before it's Liverpool and Spurs before that you know amazing run of fixtures comes in for Arsenal where um, they only play Manchester United out of the uh, top six sides between game week five and game week 16 when um, definitely be considering Pepe you know the signs are positive and I think it's 9.5 he definitely looked quite good value I think um, for what he offers yeah, certainly. You'll have to just wait and see with him, but he could be an absolute star given the stats. Moving on then, Gabarmin, um, who joined from Mainzer. He looks like he's addressed the gay's uh, replacement. Um, obviously not an FPL prospect. He won 64% of his tackles in Germany, and he definitely does look a bit like a prospect rather than finished article. Um, in contrast, Gay won a massive 79% of his tackles last year, and he also had to do it on 60 more occasions as well. So volume and success on Gay's side, which probably shows difference in players. Nonetheless, um, I think that that probably has eliminated doubt about Luca Dean and um, I suspect that we're probably okay with uh, with Luca Dean being in our teams now they acted very swiftly didn't they yeah yeah definitely I mean Gabamin has been playing for Mainz for, for three years now he, he comes highly rated and highly recommended that's why Everton have scouted him out and uh, seen him as the ideal replacement for Adrissa Gay I think obviously um, for Everton yeah Gay looked like a, a massive loss for them they've kept um, a number of clean sheets at the end of last season as we know but um, that was thanks to uh, sort of Gay's defensive midfield mindset, as well as um, Kurt Zuma as well, who's, who's still not been freed, despite um, you know Everton fans shouting on Twitter to free Zuma. It's not quite happened yet, so that might impact Dean. But I think um, Gabamian goes in a long way um, to uh, replace Gay as long as he adapts to the Premier League's pace. Uh, moving on, there's um, Moise Kane, and he's the other new signing for Everton. He's another young player that's come really highly rated. Signed from Juventus, he's only 19 years old. And yeah, last season he, he did pretty well for them. But he was more of kind of a substitute pick. Didn't play too much in the end in the league, mostly coming off the bench, but managed uh, sort of 13 appearances, nine off the bench in total, and six goals from that, which is which pretty decent returns. But 
uh, yeah, um, I think that's a fantastic signing for Everton. Perhaps maybe more one for the future than one for right now. He's not on the game yet, so we don't quite know his price, but I don't think we'll be rushing to get him in. Those with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, obviously he was one of the sort of six million picks out there. A lot of people were eyeing up thinking, oh, you know, you could cover the Everton attack with a six billion pound forward. But with uh, Moise Ken joining the side, um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's place in the uh, starting eleven definitely now seems in doubt. Yeah, certainly. He's a, he's a bit highly regarded in Italy, a bit of a hot young thing, according to a cursory sweep of Twitter. Uh, so we'll have to see what happens. I wouldn't put it past them to, to price him at the same price as Siggy or Richarlison, but I think kind of 7.5 is going to be where he's going to end up. I'm sure he'll probably start more than DCL will, unfortunately, for DCL. Um, the next one's McBurney. We mentioned that at Sheffield United on the MW. Uh, 22 goals in the championship, and he said, quote, I came to Swansea a boy and left the man. All that seems to do, Nick, is complicate an already very, very uh, congested front line there doesn't it with the other strikers around yeah yeah I think so I, mean, I remember McBurney as sort of a, a 4.5 million option back when he was at Swansea in the Premier League but he certainly won't be 4.5 million now after that fantastic season um, in the championship in terms of goal returns uh, but yeah it does definitely does complicate um, things they've already broken a transfer window this summer when they signed this uh, Mousset and they've doubled it again and broken it again and signed yet another forwards so and now they've essentially got four on their books Likely that two will start. And I imagine McBurney's probably going to be one of them, considering the price tag and his goal returns last season. You know, he's another upcoming young player, as we like to say. So I think he'll definitely be one of them. But how he fits in with the likes of Sharp, McGoldrick, who've been at the club a lot longer, and the other new signing, Musset, will be interesting to see. Yeah, certainly. Don't forget Callum Robinson as well, a 5.5 million uh, out-of-position uh, midfielder who's uh, playing up front as well, according to Wilder. There's a couple of other players who have signed. Uh, uh, Adam Webster, uh, signed from Bristol City. So I turned pet detective and uh, asked a friend, uh, so it's FPL Nashville, our friend Andy Nash, who's a Bristol City fan, said that he's City's uh, player of the year Scored three goals in 44 games in the City defence last year that kept 14 clean sheets. Four fewest goals to lose in the Championship with 53. Uh, which only bodes well um, for that Brighton team. It sounds like it's going to be a 3-4-3 because uh, it sounds like uh, Dunk is going to sit alongside uh, Duffy and Webster rather than Dunk leaving to replace uh, Maguire at, uh, at Leicester. And you said that you'd seen an article, hadn't you, or an interview with Potter saying that uh, Dunk wasn't going to be Magic's way. Yeah, well, I mean, I was watching Sky Sports News and um, they were interviewing Potter and, and he was very firm on the fact that Dunk was going nowhere. He was, he was very, you know, it's almost cursed the, uh, the reporter for even suggesting that Dunk was going to be going anywhere. So, uh, yeah, it seems like it's going to be a, a back three of Dunk, um, Duffy and Webster, which is going to be a very strong defensive line that he seems to be setting up at Bryson. So uh, it could be good for those Matt Ryan owners, perhaps, if they've got a strong back three. It doesn't look like Balogun's going to be... Um, part of that back three as it looks like a Webster Dunk Duffy lineup and uh, Dunk's not going to be going to Leicester but who is because obviously they're going to be signing someone to replace Harry Maguire there's a picture of Maguire at Carrington today, so it looks like that one's been done. Obviously, we know he brings the ball out of defence. He offers good bonus potential. Harry Maguire also offers a bit of goal threat as well, which can be interesting um, if he can get deliveries from the United midfield. Um, uh, so in 2016-17, he was actually second uh, for shots in the box, uh, one behind uh, a certain Marcos Alonso, Nick. Uh, which is quite interesting. Also, second for it was also third for attempts uh, overall. Chris Brunt four more attempts than he did. Um, and in 2017-18, when he was at Leicester, he, he also did, didn't do too badly in terms of attempts as well. And so that year, he was fourth for shots in the box, uh, just behind uh, your man Moses. So he definitely has in his locker to, to provide attacking and defensive points as well as bonus points. And uh, 
I think that'll be a good signing for United. And a quick note here that Aaron Wan-Bissaka's uh, ownership numbers is getting very, very scary indeed. It's above 35% now, I believe. Remembering a couple of years ago, Nick, when you know, the likes of Phil Jones um, absolutely destroyed ranks after 60 minutes Manchester United, is that something you're worried about with the um, Maguire going there? I'm sure there's going to be lots of ownership coming in. Like, is that something that you're thinking about in terms of your team, like playing the numbers? I don't think I'm going to be going for a Manchester United defender just this moment in time. I think they're definitely worth considering. Perhaps if I was going for a Manchester United cover, I might even look at the goalkeeper, De Gea, and just have him a sort of a set and forget 5.5 million. But I'm not overly concerned about the Wan-Bissaka numbers. Well, it'll be interesting, actually, if Manchester United do keep them some early clean sheets, if we'll see any of those much-fabled teams with five Manchester United defenders in them. De Gea, Shaw, Lindelof, Maguire and Wan-Bissaka set up, which would have been possible if you set your team up in that way on the opening week. I know Andy, um, Let's Talk FPL, was looking to do some form of setup for a little while, but he made the mistake of putting Chris Smalling in the team rather than De Gea. 35.8% does seem uh, pretty ridiculous. I think it's a combination of um, positive memories of the 4.0 million Wan-Bissaka and the um, excitement of Manchester United fans to, to get their man. And, um, you know, a lot of high percentage of FPL um, players are actually Manchester United fans, which always tends to inflate their ownership levels a little bit. Only other one to mention is a Tommy Heaton, a sign for Aston Villa. He's got an 150 point season in him, as we know. And there's also that kind of bad defence versus a good goalkeeper sort of thing going on. Started against Spurs and they've got Bournemouth. So he's likely to face a lot of shots in the first couple of game weeks, but there could be save, save, saves there, couldn't there? A 4.5, like he's definitely on the radar now as a set and forget option. Um, but as is Nick Pope, I guess, who I'm probably leaning towards right now. Yeah, I think Heaton definitely has to be considered. He's um, obviously signed Fast and Villa, so he was going to be there nailed on. Um, goalkeeper, I think it, out of sort of the 4.5 million goalkeepers out there, he's certainly high up there. Whether you trust the Aston Villa defence is another question. Um, their fixture run actually is pretty decent. Sort of in the first um, nine game weeks, they only play Spurs and Arsenal in terms of sort of the top sides before it gets a little bit tougher. For them, but yeah, I think Heaton, um, Heaton, a fitter, uh, definitely another option in terms of the goalkeepers. Sort of, you know, the Pope seems to be the the sort of mainstream cheap goalkeeper choice online. But yeah, I think Heaton definitely is an option. As is Dean Henderson, who I've currently got, um, who Sheffield United have secured on loan this season. I think both of them are fairly okay options. To be honest, the only reason I'm not going with Dean Henderson is because I've got a double Bournemouth, which sounds a bit silly as a reason, but I also prefer Nick Pope as someone from the established Premier League team. All right, speaking of which, uh, let's go on to the team reveals, Nick. Let's take a break there and we'll dive into it just after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? All right, so we're back and it's time to reveal uh, what our thinking is behind our teams. And at the moment, actually, Nick, I've got no idea whatsoever what you're thinking. Uh, your team's a bit like a kidnapped dolphin. I just can't find it. I can't see it anywhere. Uh, are you, you're in a 4-4-2, right? Have you, have you succumbed to a 5-4-1 or something like that? Or are you still kind of big at the back, but in the same way that you always were? So, so I guess I've been living in a little bit of a tribal village in terms of the big review. I haven't said anything major online. I've just given hints of who's in my team, what's happening. But um, actually, I'm, I was surprised, Tom, because when I was um, doing that analysis of previous seasons, I realised that this is actually my fourth different formation that I'm starting with in, in the last four seasons. So uh, 16, 17, I was 3-4-3. Three, three. Then I became 
four three three. Then I became four four two, and I'm progressively getting more and more defensive. It seems each year because this year I've, I've gone for the um, the four five one actually. So um, yeah, that's what I'm going for at the moment, and uh, we'll have to see how it gets on for me. What about yourself then? What kind of formation are you looking at? Have you been listening to the big at the back, or are you going for the sort of three four three, the classic, the old school um, <laughs> attack? Yeah, I've gone back to Kun, Karka and Kane. And no, I haven't, no. So I've been trying to stay off Nick. And as you said to me uh, when we met up uh, not very long ago, you've been very good, Tom. You've been very good at uh, keeping away from it. Uh, but now I've really gotten into it. I'm really thinking about the Finkel or Einhorns. I'm really kind of uh, entering Tinkertown, so to speak, here. What I've been finding with all that tinkering is that I've got a lot of issue with the 11th man in all the teams that I've made. So I've had a very strong core 10 every time. But I've had the likes of Set sitting in the team or the likes of a Lewis Dunk sitting in the team and um what I've done at the moment, Nick, actually, is I've, I've hit on a formation that I actually quite like. So I'm going to sit on it and see what happens now. But it's basically like a 4-4-2 slash 5-4-1. So it's a bit of a Swiss army knife of a wow. team. I can see your eyes rolling into the back of your head. And um, But basically, that 11th man, instead of being a moose set or something like that, it's a Carl Walker-Peters and Lacadia 5.0 and 5.5 for rotating. I, I can see that you're not too sure. Um, but basically, it's a very solid two-week plan with the capacity to go anywhere because both those players are total punts and uh, they're perfectly priced to be so uh, 5.5 and 5.0 bearing in mind that only one of them is going to play um, every week KWP can get three assists per game and Lacadia literally offers nothing except the fact that he's uh, started a lot of preseason. I don't really know how well he's done I don't really care uh, perhaps answers whether I think preseason is worth it or not Watford, West Ham and Southampton that start for Brighton is looking okay and Lacadia is looking the cheapest starting striker so why not unfortunately um, Mo Pay looks like he's signing from Brentford so that knocks out Murray uh, we forgot about him earlier on but yeah but that's kind of how I'm set up at the moment. Let's talk about goalkeepers then, Nick. Uh, where have you gone uh, in terms of how you've started? Have you gone for the, the big keeper? Have you gone for Kepa? So a lot of my sort of early drafts actually had the uh, sort of premium goalkeeper in them, and I was I was going for Edison as sort of like the uh, six million man at the back. But inevitably, what happens is you 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 want to spend more and more in your midfield in your attack. And you need defence, and you just start to downgrade the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper goes low and low until you start the season with Rob Elliott, which I did a few years back. <laughs> but I've actually, as I said, I think I said earlier on the pod, I've got Dean Henderson in there, Denderson, um, or Denders, as we might refer to him, much to um, many of our listeners' annoyance, I'm sure. At the 4.5 million goalkeeper signed from, uh, well, on loan from Manchester United. And uh, yeah, I've said before, Sheffield United, they're actually the uh, most defensively solid of all the um, promoted teams last season. And I've just got a, a decent feeling about him. I think, you know, he could potentially do an average from your sort of value analysis. Average was sort of like the second most um, value best value keeper in the uh, Premier League last season thanks to some of his penalty saves as well as clean sheets but I feel like that um, Henson might be able to follow up in his footsteps and we always see good value in the goalkeepers so why not go cheap you know, plenty of saves as well because Sheffield United aren't going to be um, a particularly uh, strong team defensively so plenty of save points and uh, plenty of money as, as well to, to spend elsewhere yeah, it certainly makes sense. I think he was, was 45%, wasn't it? 21 clean sheets last season that he got for Sheffield United. And they conceded the lowest goals of any team other than Middlesbrough. Um, so I think that that means that you'd be looking at a lot of kind of one nils at Fortress Bramble Lane, lots of saves for Denders. That, that definitely makes sense. In terms of me, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the same. I'm looking for uh, the new Efferage and uh, that's Pope for me, I think. As you've got an established Premier League team there. Obviously conceded 30 more goals last season than the season before. But I think that that is kind of, 
pretty much down to UEL and players are starting earlier on. But I think they'll be back to BAU, business as usual this year. And I think Pope, um, who's got a 150-point season him, is going to be quite a decent starter. Side point as well, but when I looked at his fixtures, I thought, oh, righty then, that's really good. Uh, because actually his first three fixtures, not, he doesn't play any of the players that I own apart from Dendonka. That obviously shouldn't be a reason why you choose a player, um, but it's a plus for him at least. So it sounds like we're both going for the 4.5 kind of quasi-set and forget keeper. We're both on button or something, aren't we? 4.0, yeah? Yeah, Button's my uh, my second choice. Interestingly, Tom Button is actually the uh, second highest owned goalkeeper in the game this season with 25% of ownership. Oh my, not surprised by that. It looks like a lot of people are doing the uh, set and forget. I think it's Allison, isn't it, who's the highest owned goalkeeper at the moment. I don't know if that's going to continue after today. Anyway, in defence, the sort of players you played today, um, I've got the Ukrainian Roberto Carlos. I've still got Zinchenko in my team. It's between him and John Stones, but I'm worried about John Stones like giving me a heart attack, basically, if he's trying to play ticky-tacker in his own six-yard box. like He just, just doesn't look the sort of player who's, who's got the confidence to do that at the moment after what happened with England. Um, I guess having Edison there is going to be a lot more useful for him. It will calm him down a bit compared to Calamity Claudio. But yeah, I've still got Zinchenko in there. Um, I, I don't really like the city defence at all. I feel like I've just kind of got him there just for the six-pointers. So I might as well pay for the cheapest guy possible. Have you got Zinchenko, Stones, anything like that? Yeah, I've got Zinchenko at the moment as well. I've got the KDB lights in defence. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, I'm not I'm not too sure about the um, the Manchester City defence either. It's kind of the, the cheapest man. Um, you know, obviously there's other options like Kyle Walker, but they've also signed um, Cancelo today, who we didn't mention earlier. Um, so it looks like Walker's position might be under threat as well, potentially on that right back slot. It looks like Zinchenko's position, a bit worried about him as well. Um, they've got other options there. He seems definitely seems to be ahead of um, Angelino and, and started today as well. But um, I'm more worried about the, the threat of Mendy as well. He's, a, he's now at 25% chance of playing. Looks like he could be fit by the beginning of September. So it could be um, one of those transfers waiting to happen with Zinchenko if he loses his place. But yeah, at the moment, I feel like oh, I should cover the Manchester City defence. And um, at 5.5 million, he's definitely the, um, the best way to do that, or the cheapest at least. Oh, and this, I'm guessing we both still got Luca Dean. Yeah, we both got Luca Dean. We've probably talked about him to death on our last couple of pods, especially when we we're talking about how um, we think he's much better than Seamus Coleman, which definitely means that Seamus Coleman is going to get a 15 point return in game week one. So, bye, Seamus <laughs> Coleman listeners. But um, <laughs> it's, it's certainly going to happen. And yeah, the Liverpool assets, we might actually have exactly the same defence, Tom, which is a little bit worrying, at least for the, uh, the four main uh, players, because I've got. Um, Alexander-Arnold and Robertson's my Liverpool defence and I've got a feeling you might as well. Yeah, we've got those exact same two. The beauty of it is, talk about the charity shield later on, um, but even though TAA wasn't his best today, I still think owning him and Robbo is, is a good starting point. You can always go down to VVD and literally any other defender if you need to. Plus, they're basically a cash cow. So if I suddenly need you know, a Harry Kane or something, then I can just sell one of them. So your fifth man, you, you mentioned Kyle Walker-Peters, Tom, which, which is quite interesting. And you've, you've definitely got some sort of like rotation strategy there. My only fear with uh, Walker-Peters is that there might be um, some sort of like Serge Aurier threat. Um, Aurier's back in training now alongside Derek Dyer. And, and no one fourth got stretched off, which obviously means that so Walker-Peters looks like he's going to be the man that starts for Spurs. I would be worried about the, um, the more experienced Aurier um, taking that slot away from Walker-Peters or, or even Eric Dyer can... Um, 
put in um you can, can play in that right back slot but yeah i think it's mostly most likely either going to be aurier or kai walker peters that starts in that position but i'll be a bit concerned about that uh but for me my my fifth man is uh ben gibson and he's only 4.0 he's been getting a little bit of a pre-season action um i remember him uh heartily from his days of playing at middlesbrough where i actually captained him in a, in a double game week and he, he got me about 12 times two or something which is pretty damn decent you know I love a defender called Benz and uh, Gibson uh, is in the team at the moment hoping that Tarko is the man that's signed by Leicester which might mean that Gibson's a 4.0 million nailed on defender but we'll have to see there yeah it makes sense I think KWP 5.0 for Aston Villa I think that's okay and I hope he's still around by game week three Newcastle but this isn't a zombie team like I can get rid of him after that but I think it's it's an okay opening punt like if you're making a punt on like a striker or something like that and paying 5.5 or 6 or something like that for you know a Che Adams or a Wesley like why not make a 5.0 punt on a defender like it's the same thing except there's probably getting more value in that defender KWP gets me free free assists on game week one I'll be very happy with that right uh, let's move on to the midfield then and uh, I think it's fair to say that Salah and Sterling we're not going to spend too much time on them because we both have them don't we and Ayose Perez as well uh, your man and your, your Fred subjects and also uh, by consequence that the angry mobs can show up at your door once Sergio Perez uh, misses a penalty gets sent off and is injured for three weeks after game week one Oh yeah, he's, he's definitely not going to start. Rodgers is going to play uh, Harvey Barnes and Demare Gray on the wing and we'll see Perez start from the bench because he's a new signing and I've been talking about how I, I don't get new signings in, in game week one because they haven't bedded in properly. I've gone punted on Isaac Perez, haven't I? So yeah, I've been a massive hypocrite there. But uh, yeah, I did a big thread on um, why I think Perez is going to be a, a good pick and uh, you know, I'm putting my money where my mouth is as well by backing this guy in my uh, game week one team. I think he's um, looking like a really good value pick as well having been reclassified from forward to midfield this season and yeah um, at Leicester I certainly think he could flourish yeah certainly I think there's been a lot of questioning about Perez of people saying they're not sold but simply put just think of him as a 6.5 million striker like if he was still in the striker position on FPL we'd probably all have him in by default I think wouldn't we he basically is a 6.5 million striker who gets an extra point for uh, clean sheets and gets an extra point for scoring goals like it feels like it feels like a decent decent punt on game week one but yeah I think people are going to be coming for you like a stampede destroying an old man's house Nick if if that does go wrong I've literally just got him in just so I can blame you basically obviously that's a joke listeners that's a joke um, and finally I've got Ryan Fraser as my 7.5 um, I think that Ryan Fraser after doing the value work I just can't ignore him I really can't like um, I actually have a double up with Wilson as well but uh, I think that Ryan Fraser just in his final year at Bournemouth as well by the looks of it um, has the stats behind him and uh, is well worth that 7.5 million especially in the beginning and then from there I can move to the likes of I don't know, Anthony Martial or something like that but you know, those first two against the promoted teams I think that Bournemouth could really explode out the blocks uh, beat Leon 3-0 in their final preseason friendly whatever that means um, so I think the guys are all, all looking like they're raring to go and I'm very very happy to have Fraser there at 7.5 it feels right to me I suppose what about you so yeah it's probably getting a little bit awkward because I've got um, Ryan Fraser in, in my midfield at the moment as well alongside oh, for God's sake Luke, <laughs> you had Lucas Moura along, alongside Lucas Moura because oh, okay. I've, got, I've got five midfielders at the moment as I said the yeah, Fraser as you said from the value work looks like a fantastic punt and I think um, yeah he could have another really good season at Bournemouth and yeah, um, like we said on the pod as well the fixtures are, are really good so you can't you can't really ignore Bournemouth um, they only play Manchester City um, in the first um, sort of seven game week 
two of the promoted sides in the first two game weeks. But I think um, for me, um, Lucas Moura is the other midfielder. So I've actually um, been experimenting with two setups, to be honest. So, you know, this is not a guaranteed team that I'm talking about here. It, it is subject to change. Don't don't bring the lynch mobs if um, I decide to, to sort of change my team in advance in, in the next five days or so because I've got more in the team at the moment but I have also been experimenting with it and I changed it today I've been experimenting with sort of Kane KDB setup as well and that would be sort of downgrading um, Sterling to um, KDB and also um, have Barkley in that team as well so Kane would be sort of a premium forward Sterling would be um, KDB to help fund that uh, and Moro would be Barkley but I know Sterling missed a bit of a sitter today but he did score Lucas Moura scored um, in the preseason match today as well for Spurs and I've gone back to this formation as well Moura we talked about it again on other pods so I don't want to keep repeating myself but he's definitely going to start with in because obviously Son's suspended and I, I fancy him at sort of 7.5 million I think he's, he's quite a good value pick and he, he could be um very prolific and he'd be a sort of a much cheaper way of sort of covering Spurs compared to Harry Kane who's going to cost you um, quite a lot of money at 11 million for forwards you can get a 7.5 million midfielder that could potentially match Kane's output yeah exactly well the same argument that you just uh, used on me for KWP applies to Mora doesn't it so I think we're both doing the same thing except I'm uh, taking the punt on the cheaper defender and you're taking the punt on again a player that you can move on so yeah you understand that final guy that I've got is Dion Donker Alex Ball knows actually that and there's a lot of players in that kind of five to six point five million range that um, are being completely overlooked because of Dendonka being so good and he asked us is that having impacts on kind of formations and I know you've got five in midfield for example but I think a lot of people who if they can't afford that kind of final 6.5 7.5 million midfielder are going to look at Dendonka because the stats in the final 10 game weeks were so good that if he's kind of kept his place then a 4.5 is a bit of a no-brainer isn't it having him as your first venture I know you haven't gone that way because you've got five in midfield but surely people who are thinking about having the four like he's the highest on 4.5 at the moment and I, I think he makes absolute sense, doesn't he? Definitely be the, the pick of the bunch from the 4.5 millions because of a lot of players um, that we're expecting to be 5.5 million really got sort of price hikes. And I'm, I'm talking about like Microsoft sort of McNeil and Harvey Barnes that really perhaps didn't deserve it. There's very little option in terms of that sort of price bracket. So you have to go a little bit cheaper all the way down to um, 4.5 million. And, and then Dogger fits very nicely in terms of a sort of a, a bench pick that can potentially come off the bench if one of your players doesn't play. But so moving, um, moving on to the, uh, the four. Woods, um, it's another sort of 4.5 million player that's um, caught our eye in the preseason. He's not necessarily going to start, but definitely one for the future and uh, one for our benches as well. And that's that's Mason Greenwood. He, he's in my team at the moment. I don't know. Um, is he in yours as well? Definitely is. Sounds like he's uh, going to be good value for effectively spending zero. His base price is nothing because you've got to spend 4.5 million for a forward. Same as Dundonka. So I think that the Greenwood, if he's going to get one point every now and again coming off the bench, who knows? It could be his breakthrough year and uh, Lingard maybe watching him to see how he can make a pathway for himself to the first team. But yeah, all about um, Greenwood and with eight core players the same Nick I'm hoping that some of your strikers are different from mine here and um, obviously as I've mentioned I've got Lacadia uh, Lacadia has started the majority of preseason on the wing actually for Bryson so he's poo um, but for me he's going to play game week two against West Ham when Carl Walker-Peters has a Man City away I think that's an okay kind of 11th man 
Um, but that's basically set up so I can have one man in. Uh, that's Callum Wilson. Wilson, for me, is a very exciting, explosive player. Um, it offers a bit more than Josh King does. We saw that in the Talisman Theory article, and we saw that in the stats too. What King does have is value, so 6.5 million. I think after the prices were adjusted, it was only 0.49 uh, points per million between Wilson and King. Uh, but I do think Wilson has that just that little bit extra about him. He's got that kind of unselfishness, plus also the ability to bang big time in front of goal. His big chances missed last season were second only to Aubameyang's. He, he's in the right positions, and that's really reassuring. Same as Mo Salah. I, I really think that Wilson is worth that extra 1.5. And I'm hoping that people see that price difference between him and Josh King and think, yeah, I'm going for Josh King. Are you one of these people going for Josh King? At the moment, for my two forwards, I've got Josh King, the cheaper Bournemouth man, the one that's on penalties. I, I definitely think that he, he can match Callum Wilson. I'm not convinced that Wilson's, the, you know, the the alpha and King's debate. Obviously, Wilson is perhaps the, the better footballer, but I think that King can match um, Wilson's returns and, uh, yeah, saves me a little bit of money by going for King over Wilson. The other man I've got, um, it's another 4.5 million uh, forward, um, so my bench is looking a bit weak, but I've got Connor Wickham in there at the moment and a little bit of concern uh, because Wickham's actually been heavily linked at the moment with the likes of Bristol City and Stoke. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if he actually stays at the club come deadline day. Otherwise, I'm going to have to start um, really sort of pushing the boat out um, and looking <laughs> at other options. Maybe um, Nketiah from Arsenal, Sander Silva. Yeah, you've got the Daniel Sturridge regen at Bournemouth, uh, Sam Surridge as well, Sam to, Surridge, to, yeah. to bear in mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, okay, very interesting. And um, yeah, I'm glad that we finally got some differentiation because it sounds like talking too much has led to the fact that eight of our starting 11 is exactly the same. <laughs> but nonetheless, what it's worth remembering is that in the engaged community, as it were, obviously we're shot swapping ideas a lot and as covered by all the psychology, um, we're likely to perform like a bit of a herd mentality, a hive mind about all of these things. It's not necessarily a bad thing and just remember the fact that our teams are very very different to your average Joe who hasn't been part of it like we've certainly seen friends of ours haven't we Nick or around the office like people have very very different teams to ours you know with the old traditional 3-4-3 or something like that so yeah it's a bit more niche to be our way like don't think just because you see it everywhere on Twitter that this is the setup that everyone's going for because Nick that's definitely the case is it? No and uh, yeah knowing our luck and our track record since we started the pod is probably going to go very badly for us so we certainly certainly wouldn't recommend to copy our teams anyway we're, uh, we're going to take a break now anyway and uh, have the questions in the next section who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and it's time to catch up in terms of what we've been up to in, in the last week we've actually been very busy haven't we tom um, lots lots of little things happening in terms of the pre-season activity um, we're both um, appearing weekly now on love sport radio uh, one at a time and that's alongside uh, johnny Burrows and Olympic sprinter Ewan Thomas, which is uh, that's at around 6 p.m. on a Friday. If you listen to Love Sport Radio, check it out. And I was also on the uh, Difficult Index Guide podcast with our good friend Pet FI Guide on Twitter, which was good fun uh, talking about sort of football index and FPL, which is you know sort of a second hobby of mine. Yeah, I was going to do a pet detective reference there, but I just couldn't find a way to fit it in. <laughs> <laughs> pet the F- FI detective. Yeah, definitely worth checking out, guys, if you're interested in Football Index, although I'm guessing you listen to his podcast anyway. Um, also, I was interviewed by a journalist from the Financial Times last week, and there should be an article out on Wednesday about FPL and investing behaviour. I know very little about FPL, but I know a lot about investing behaviour, so uh, maybe I uh, offered something of substance without sounding like too much of a nerd. I uh, didn't, didn't use any drug reference or anything like that, so hopefully you're okay. 
also I was involved in an FPL shoot uh, the other day um, in the evening with, with Lee and Sam from FPL Family and Holly as well from FPL Community. Come out, I think, Wednesday and Thursday next week and hopefully not be too cringeworthy. And uh, finally, Nick, you're working on Hobart at the moment, aren't you, about uh, new signings, uh, new men in FPL. Yeah, so it's this sort of a summary of our prospecting the prospect series where we just do like a sort of a final analysis of all the key signings over the course of the summer and how we think we're there going to be doing in FPL. And yeah, when that's uh, put live, that'll be on Fancy Football Hub. So check it out. So yeah, over the course of the season, we're going to be doing our regular features, some some new, some old. Market Forces will be back again, where we'll sort of be looking at what's happening in the market in terms of the movers and shakers. And we try and assess the reasons why. Typically, I think there's sort of like massive rising likes of Higazi, as we said, uh, in game week one. And uh, Granite Shaco, and, and sometimes it can be a bit weird um, what's going on in game week one, but it's always quite interesting to you know do the analysis and yeah decide whether it's bad or good. But uh, yeah, we'll also be doing the over thirties team because me and Tom have now turned thirty. We're, we're sort of reaching our prime. Um, we're going to be looking at those players in their prime, and uh, you know the likes of Aguero and um, Aubameyang. There's a few um, over thirties dotted about in the Premier League still returning points, and we're, we're going to see if a, a team. Of of over 30s can do well in FPL we'll have to see yeah certainly we've got the likes of Gilfie Sigerson as well turning 30 in September and as soon as he turns 30 he's straight into the club so there you go and um, yeah that should be interesting that replaces the All Englands of course after last year's kind of a misadventure there I think uh, with those guys there uh, and also uh, we'll be doing the Nick Pick accompanied this year by the Tom Pick uh, so the Nick Pick's obviously to pick a boring kind of character who's going to just grind out your six or seven points every week you know the likes of Cole Walker uh, the likes of Aspil Equator yeah, the, li- the likes of Aspil Equator, the likes of all those sorts of players and we'll pair that with a Tom pick which will be a bit of a Hail Mary you know the sort of post you see on Twitter differential this guy's owned by 1.4% and has had five shots on goal in the last two game weeks and so I'll be picking out one and we'll kind of see how we do I suppose in that regard should we do one now uh yeah yeah let's do one now then okay who are you going for so this is completely off the cuff, but I'm going to go for Toby Alderweireld for a, a nice starting clean sheet against Aston Villa. Same price as you're paying for Jurgen Lacadia, Tom, who's, who's definitely going to do nothing, isn't he, against uh, Watford? Yeah, he'll be on the bench anyway, so I'm not too bothered about that. Um, but one man who, uh, if he was in my team, uh, wouldn't be on the bench is uh, Pascal Gross. He's my Tom Pitt this week, and I think that he's of great interest. Um, I don't really want him at the moment, because I probably want Jose Perez over him. But Pascal Gross, his first season in the Premier League, 164.7 goals and 8 assists. And he was involved in 45% of Brighton's goals. So, under Graham Potter, a very, very attacking manager. Um, obviously, it's, it's Imperio that that is introduced as quickly as possible but I wouldn't be surprised to see after a torrid season last year but still the highest chances created amongst the seagulls and for him to do well and Watford away and Watford conceded I think it was the third or fourth most big chances last year and that defence has only been improved by Dawson joining and so I I can really see a few goals in that if if Brighton's 3-4-3 works out so yeah Pascal Gross is my week one impromptu Tom pick I wish I have more time to think about that, but actually I quite like that. <laughs> and uh, finally as well, um, during the features, uh, we've obviously just done one of them out of nowhere, is uh, the zombies. And, and we'll talk about them for the first kind of few weeks until it obviously uh, becomes less relevant. But that launches next week and Nick will give the league code uh, later on. 
All right, uh, let's get on to the questions then. Thanks very much for your questions this week, guys. We're quite a lot, so we're going to have to take it down um, to just a few kind of key ones. Uh, the first one is a personal one because we need to talk about this. We need to talk about preseason. We need to talk about the charity shield, which happened today at the time of recording. Uh, so Pumpkinhead and FPL Physio uh, Tom, who appeared on the A2L pod, asked how much do we value preseason? And linked to this, the charity shield. Do we care about what we saw today? So let's start at the charity shield then, Nick. And I guess looking at the rules, six subs, City were playing their second choice goalkeeper in Calamity Claudio. Didn't have Jesus or Kun up front who were on the bench. They had a Raz up top. One to way Sane who got injured in the side. That tells you what you need to know really about the nature of the charity shield. I think it is really a, a bit of a glorified, uh, glorified friendly. We know it's called the Community Shield, by the way. Um, City really can edge on being a bit boring to watch, I suppose, sometimes. They're imperious. But, you know, City, I guess, nothing really changed as far as my perceptions toward them go. Like, Raz is the man. Uh, KDB looks good as always, but we need a bit of end product to go with that sparkle. Bilver is actually the same. And defence is just basically a six-point ceiling, isn't it? Like, you know, the Ukrainian Roberto Carlos versus Calamity John Stones. Like, I don't know, you don't want to spend more than you have to on those guys, even though they're going to get you a clean sheet because the opposition will never have the ball. I saw that defence and just thought, oh, I'm just not too sure about them, but it just feels logical to cover them. Yeah, yeah, I'd be inclined to to agree with you. I think I felt like before the game, I wasn't going to learn anything new about any of these players and it wasn't going to impact any of my decisions. And it certainly was the case that nothing happened. That, that kind of, you know, influenced me in any way. The players performed as expected. The only thing, as I said, I have been experimenting with some of my formations and I did go back to Sterling after contemplating a KDB Kane team. I'm now back on Sterling Mora. Yeah, okay. So in terms of Liverpool then, um, I think that that was an interesting one too. Uh, Salah obviously didn't score. Um, Obviously very frustrating to watch or listen to. Um, But the stats will tell a different tale, which is basically what we need. Took a lot of shots in that game. And I'm I'm glad um, to see lots of doubts about TAA emerging after that. The essential point for me is that Liverpool are playing Man City. Next week, they're playing Norwich. Are they comparators? Can you make judgments on a game against Man City, which is basically a glorified friendly? Liverpool are on the counter in that game. Liverpool will be on the tack against Norwich. Better players they played today versus lesser players against Norwich. I'm not sure I'd make too many changes to Liverpool based on this. Like, I just don't think it's worth it. Like, I'm still sticking with Thierry and Robbo, and it sounds like you are as well. Exactly. So, yeah, as you said, it's completely different opponents, completely uh, different set of scenarios. It's not quite a glorified friendly. There is, there is a trophy, a trophy, inverted commas, at the end of it. But, yeah, like I think it's, it's uh, yeah, like the Audi Cup, which is, uh, yeah, fantastic trophy to win. <laughs> I still think that, obviously, it's all going to be about the Norwich game next week. And that's when we will truly be able to assess the uh, Liverpool players' potential and uh, if they can repeat their heroics of last year. So, yeah, I mean, moving on to pre-season again, you, you, you can't garner too much. I see a lot of analysis on Twitter. I've seen it so many times, actually, in the last few weeks. People saying, Barkley started, he's definitely going to start for Chelsea. Or oh, Mason Mount started, oh, he's definitely going to start for Chelsea. Abraham started, he's definitely going to start. They're not all definitely going to start just because they started the pre-season matches. You can't read too much always into who's starting and who's not starting. You know, some people are still recom- coming back from international duty, like the likes of, you know, Mane um, at Liverpool. It's, um, you know, they're rotating the teams like mad for these games. And uh, sometimes you can read into a little bit into the form. It's always good to see some of the players doing well who you've got in your teams. Like, you know, 
as I mentioned, Lucas Moura has been scoring a few goals in the preseason, which which is positive for me because I have been backing him. If I was hearing reports that he was playing terribly or you know looked out of shape, then I would be certainly concerned about owning him. So you know it is definitely useful to follow this information, but you have to take it to a certain extent with a pinch of salt. Sometimes look at the opponents as well because if it's a if it's a six one mauling and Sterling gets a hat trick, but then you actually say okay they just played them. Um, some really obscure team from from Japan. It, it doesn't necessarily mean all that much, you know. The likes of Niketia, for instance, he's um, he's Arsenal's informed player apparently with three goals and two assists. So maybe I'll get him in with my Connor Wickham replacement. I don't know, but he, it certainly doesn't mean he's going to play. I'm you know I'm very aware of the fact that Aubameyang, Lacazette, and Pepe are going to be ahead of him in terms of the Arsenal attack. So he might be okay on the bench, but yeah, I don't think you can necessarily read too much into the form because it is pre-season but it is worth keeping an eye in particular on the players that you're planning on owning yeah definitely i hate pre-season until it confirms a bias that i've got about a player that i've signed that's basically how i think about it like i i really i really just don't know like i think that for every team that absolutely smashes it in pre-season and doesn't do anything when the season starts there's a west brom who used to do terribly in pre-season you know, like lose to the likes of bristol rovers and Tranmere and things like that then come out in game week one and then put together a solid performance win by the one goal and it's a bonanza for owners. So I just don't think that it's it's that useful. I think it's useful for seeing where players are going to play, how managers are thinking of setting up, you know, with Brendan Rodgers, like how he's been setting up his team in preseason has been interesting to follow and um, kind of pushes the whole Perez idea if he's playing with that diamond. I mean, those sorts of things are interesting. But as you said, you know, taking it with a pinch of salt and thinking about the players who aren't there is also very, very useful. So last year, for example, Raheem Sterling, we all thought after England, he'd have a big break and wouldn't play against Arsenal but he didn't score and so I think it's very very hard to tell and I think the press conferences perhaps are going to be more interesting than the preseason as a whole I think the preseason as a whole is yeah we've we've got the fitness we've got the minutes under our belt but the clubs know and no one and everybody else knows it doesn't really mean anything so I think that it's um, one of those things that unless you're celebrating winning the Audi Cup that most people should take what the presers say and kind of the fitness information from the likes of Ben Dinnery after that Let's move on to the uh, the next questions. Next question is from our mate Edu, who we met at the Christmas Day FPL Rhinos. And he's asked us about early wildcards. He said, with our benches so woeful and no info on a host of players like um, Aguero, the new signings, um, the Chelsea assets and Bryson assets, etc. Is an early wildcard inevitable? You know, I try and hold off on the early wildcards. I know you said you, you wildcarded in game week three um, the previous season after sort of the Aguero um, calamity. For me, I think um, an early wildcard always does tend to happen quite early, you know, perhaps um, sort of in the first international break or so. I'm going to try and hold off as um, long as possible. I think game week three definitely is too early for me. Um, you know, I've set my team up that I shouldn't have to wildcard that early. You know, I trust in the players that I picked to perform for me over, you know, at least a five game week period based on fixtures. So I don't really want to early wildcard. And you do have transfers available. And I'd rather take a minus four hit in game week three if I can just to make three changes, which should be enough rather than early wildcard. But yeah, but my aim at least is, is to try and hold off unless I have an absolute disaster of the first couple of game weeks and have to make wholesale changes. 
Yeah, exactly. I think um, FPL Saints are something like this as well, like in terms of how far in advance we're kind of setting up and how important the bench is. Like my bench at the moment, I do actually have a 5.5 million striker on it. So I guess I've tried to make sure that I've got two bench players. Remember at the end of last season, we were all saying, oh yeah, no, we need to have a good bench for the start of the season. Now a lot of people promptly forgotten about it. <laughs> it's a woeful bench. Amazing really how quickly it turns around, isn't it? Um, but no, in reality, game week one, Nick always says it's a crapshoot. Like, I think it's like catching a bird in between your teeth having a good game week one the key is not to get too dispirited game weeks one two and three because it's all recoverable but you do need to react to the, what you're seeing in front of you as the, as the kind of season shakes out so, so yeah, normally we leave it don't we until game week three to make two fts i don't think it is inevitable i think you can manage your way out of it but i can see why you'd be concerned um i just be maybe countering that by saying well make sure your team is set up to have players at the price points so you can buy those players as they come onto the radar so having a fraser so you can purchase a Martial or purchase a Pulisic is, is a useful idea in game week one. Right, next question is Rohan Pai. Uh, do we leave alone those Wolves? Um, so he said that you know the Europa League has definitely uh, caused him to think again about owning Jimenez. And uh, Jota as well has been on many a radar. I think he was in my very, very first team. But I, I've stepped back with Petrone also joining. Like, Is the Europa League something you're worried about in terms of Wolves? I think you have to be concerned about the Europa League. We've seen many teams suffer in the Premier League uh, from the early start in, in the Europa League and having to balance those those Thursday night fixtures um, along with the league fixtures at the weekend, playing opponents that have had a whole week to prepare, whilst Wolves might have had to travel off to Eastern Europe and you know then play on the Sunday. And uh, yeah, they're not always... Um, you know, in best form because of that. And we've seen many teams suffer before. Pretty much every team that's, that's gone into Europe that's not been in that top six has really struggled. The next season is pretty much every year. You know, like Burnley last year, obviously, it's a classic case. But also we saw Southampton and Everton, West Ham, Newcastle all have these sort of Europa League campaigns and have really poor seasons off the back of it. So I think it's a concern. But it's not the only concern, actually, for me, in terms of why I don't have any Wolves players. It's one factor, perhaps. But and there are two other factors for me. So, I mean, last season, I started with two Wolves players. Obviously, they were much hyped. And I think they're going to have a good campaign, to be honest, this year as well. But I had um, Patricio and Yotta at the beginning of last season. And um, probably also got in Matt Doherty. But for me, I think... Um, one reason I don't have a Wolves player at the moment is the fixtures. I think their fixtures are absolutely terrible. For the start of the season, I mean, they're playing Leicester. It's got a tough opening game. Manchester United. Burnley at home, quite a nice one. Then it's Everton away and then Chelsea at home. That's just a really tough opening five, to be honest. So um, I'm a bit worried about them because of those five fixtures and also the prices. And we've talked about the, the Wolves prices. They've, they've gone out quite a bit, especially in defence. Like Doherty being 6 million, Johnny 5.5, even like to Willie Bolly and Connor Cody, the shotless man being 5.0. And, um, you know, the only one perhaps I'd be interested in is Jimenez, 7.5. He's got foot injury apparently as well. And, uh, you know, as you said, Cutrone might um, rotate with him as well. So a little bit of concern there. Yeah, certainly. As I mentioned, Burnley, just a little bit of extra tiredness, I think, in contrast to a friendly game where you're not really giving it 100%. These guys really were given 100% and uh, uh, really uh, saw the effects. They didn't really turn it around until the second half of the season, did they? I mean, Wolves do do well in bad fixtures. We saw that last year. Uh, but I think you're right, Nick. Like Price and the Europa League means that a watch and wait is absolutely OK, uh, despite the fact that the Jimmy ownership is actually very high. And I do like Jota, but I'm probably going to just, uh, just watch and wait with those guys. And finally, Finally, um, no Salah, um, FPL Flapjack, are our thoughts on going without Mo Salah. Uh, Nick, quickly, what is your view? 
So I think it's very risky. We've seen actually Manor, he seems to be the game week one player that always performs for Liverpool. Much um, my own team's punishment. But if you're not going to go with Salah, then you have to go with at least Mane. And if, if you're not going to go with Mane because it's possible that he's not going to start, he's not going to be ready in time, then I think you have to be very, very concerned. And it's going to be a case of hiding behind that sofa on that Friday night. But, you know, it might pay off. We'll have to see. Yeah, I'm loving the fact that 19.4% of managers allegedly currently have Mane in their teams. Like, I, I'm not too sure he's going to start on game week one because of it. You know, he's played a very, very long season last season. We don't. Know, I think he's just come back to training or something like that. So, like, we just don't know whether when he's going to be fit and available. So, I think the 19% of the managers aren't going to be very happy on game week one by the fact that their, their, their premier man doesn't start. I just can't. I can't see past going Salah against Norwich. Like, uh, I think any justification based on today's result is 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 probably folly. Um. So yeah. Um. We're we're both going with Salah. Probably out of fear. Um. I can see why. You know, a triple up in Liverpool defence may make sense or something like that. But I just don't know why you do it to yourself. Really, it just feels like last season all over again with Salah. That it just feels like too uh, too risky not to earn him for me. Right, so that's your lot for this week. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Just to say, we are Who Got the Assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGCA underscore FPL. Um, you can find us online at whogotassist.com. Uh, we posted plenty of content throughout the summer. Um, you can catch up on all of that there. Unfortunately, there's no Talisman 2 uh, this year due to time constraints, but you know, there you go. We've reached the very end of what we can do in the, in our free time, but uh, hopefully you appreciate the, the pre-season stuff that we've done. Uh, thank you for all the support with that. Like us on Facebook and listen and subscribe to us on Spotify, SoundCloud, or whatever you use to get your podcasts yep and if you want to join our leagues um, the league for our main league is eikx03 and if you want to join our zombie league which are no trips no transfers set and forgets teams league um, the code is ejos45 and there's um, a theme to every pod last week it was in between us um well done to all the guys that sent us the friend uh, gifts on Twitter and uh, and got the uh, and got the clues that we uh, put in in the pod. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with game week one, believe it or not, Tom. Yeah, we finally got the net. Finally got there. I really hope you've enjoyed all the preseason stuff that we've done. The very best of luck for game week one. In the meantime, we hope to assist you, and we'll speak to you after the very first fixture of FPL 2019-2020. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.